We are back for another edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Floyd. That is Daniel Galvan as we come here uh, just on December the 6th record here on Wednesday night, December 6th. Of course, appreciate everyone tuning in for the podcast, whether however you take this podcast in, whether you take it in on social media, the podcasting platforms, or over on YouTube. We appreciate you tuning in for the episode. Of course, uh, be sure to smash that thumbs up button. And uh, of course, you're not subscribed to the show. Be sure to do that as well. Daniel, how you doing, man? Man, I am doing great, Jason. I tell you what, though, it is really nice of you to um, support a mid-major college. I see you have a Florida State University hoodie on, (laughs) and uh, based on the fact that they went undefeated and aren't in the playoffs, I'm assuming that the ACC is now a mid-major conference. So really proud of you for supporting those low-level schools. Man, I'll tell you, I was uh, I was setting up the booth on Sunday. Had, had the college football uh, rankings where where you know we, we no longer call it a playoff here in Florida. It's called an invitational because clearly uh-huh. that's what it is. It's an invitational at this point. And, and I was thinking about this earlier today. You know, I mean, obviously, as an FSU fan, you're frustrated at the fact of you know you're in a power you know a alleged power five conference go undefeated and uh, you know because of a catastrophic injury. I mean, like it, it's one of those things of like. I don't know if you saw this. Did you see where Jordan Travis came out and goes, I wish I would have broke my leg earlier so they could have been given more opportunities? That just got dark and sad. Um, Damn, that is so sad. I feel so bad for Jordan Travis, you know, and uh, that's worse. But, God, to me, I'm not just saying this because you're a Florida State fan and also I'm an A&M Aggie fan, so I do not like the Longhorns. You... You go undefeated in a Power 5 conference you should be in. Simple as that. I I just – all this stuff about opinions and stuff, that goes out the woodshed whenever you drop the ball and the whistle goes. That's why we love sports. You can never predict the Texas Rangers winning the World Series this past year, and you can't predict college football. And I just feel bad because, again – you tell a kid you're going to Florida State, you're going to go undefeated, and you don't have an opportunity to compete for a national championship. It's as simple as that. Alabama, Texas, they may be better on paper. They may have their starting quarterback. They had an opportunity to win every game that year, and they didn't, but they're still in the playoff. I was thinking about this earlier today, and it, it kind of made me, and obviously we're a mixed martial arts podcast, it made me think about mixed martial arts in, in, in this way. Of we both know, and I think everyone that listens to this podcast understands while while yes, mixed martial arts is a sport, it's entertainment, it's a business. And we saw that unfold on Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning, depending on wherever you live in the country, is we saw that college football, it's a sport, we get a ton of entertainment out of it, but Sunday just showed. It's an inter- it, it, this is a business, and I, I look. I'm not sitting here saying Florida State's one of the best four teams in the country. I'm not going to say that. I do not believe we are one of the best four teams in the country, especially the fact of in the AC championship game we're playing with a third year true freshman quarterback. But it, it it made me think of of MMA that you know what you can do all the work in the cage. You can go out there and get the W's. It doesn't mean you're going to find your way into a title shot. I mean, we, we, we live in a sport. Let's just be honest about it. If you have a, a grappling-heavy style, the guy that's an exciting striker 
is likely going to jump ahead of you to get a title shot. And that's just the way this sport is. And so that was one of my thoughts earlier today of like, you know, because I mean, look, look, you feel for the, the, the student athlete. You know, I, well, I'm. They're not student athletes. Let's, let's, let's not get ourselves. <laughs> Even though I do find find the FSU podcast I listen to one one of the guys, one of the hosts of the shows, he's part of the the, the NIL collective for FSU, and he basically goes, "Yeah, we've had more donations in the past forty eight hours than we've had in the past six weeks." Yeah, it's become big business for these college programs, and you know. Maybe it'll work out in the long run with all that extra NIL money. Maybe y'all can recruit a big name free agent because that's what's going on now is we have all the free agent names in the college sports transfer portal. Did you see how many players are in the portal? I know they broke records by it's like a wide margin. It's like 1,200. And the interesting thing is one of the podcasts I produced, I came into the studio on Saturday, and one of their guests was a college softball player. And she was talking about when she entered the transfer portal and, and talking about of, you know, hey, you know, obviously there there's, can be glamour for some people out there. She's like, I had six schools that were interested in me, but only two of them would take my, my college credits. And so it's kind of this, I mean, look, obviously we're very much in the free agency era of college athletics and particularly college football. But, you know, like you brought the point to me in a text message, and I thought it's a great point of, you know, when you think about MMA, who are the fighters who've deserved to get that opportunity, deserved to get a title shot? You know, kind of like, you know, Florida State did it on the football field, but unfortunately because of other circumstances – 13 people in a room basically made the decision of, well, we think you're not, you know, you're not worthy of getting in there. You know, the one name I came to you was TJ Grant. You know, the other, there was one other name that came to me and and it's not quite in that TJ Grant aspect. Of course, for, you know, if you're a newer fan of mixed martial arts, TJ Grant uh, had to retire due to concussions. He was literally going to be fighting for, for UFC title in his next matchup. If he didn't have these injury situations, the other guy that kind of came to my mind, Tony Ferguson. Oh, I mean, yeah, the Tony's a big one. And when we talk about this topic, it's not just that they deserved an opportunity at a point in time and didn't get it. It's that they never got that opportunity in their career. And while Tony still is active, I think it's unlikely that he'll fight for a lightweight championship. And again, I have to say, I'm not talking about interim lightweight championships, but like literally when you talk about most deserving, Tony is the answer because he literally won. He literally won. He he won the interim championship. So he was the interim lightweight champion, and he never got an undisputed lightweight championship fight. When you look at Tony's run of victories in the UFC, it is absurd how big his run was. From 2013 through 2019, he was undefeated, and I think without a doubt. Tony is number one, and the difference between him and TJ is that TJ unfortunately had to retire due to injuries versus Tony just never got that opportunity until he ultimately lost to Justin Gaethje for the interim championship. So I think Tony is a great answer, Jason. Uh, There's there's a lot of interesting names you could throw out there. I mean, you can look at a couple of former Bellator slash Strikeforce fighters that had good runs in the UFC and maybe could have gotten championship opportunities, but just didn't get it and eventually got a top five matchup that knocked them out of contention and they were out of their prime. The three names I'm thinking of is Jacare Souza, 
Ryan Bader, and Gegar Mousasi. Those are three fighters I think probably deserved UFC championship opportunities and just didn't get it. Ryan Bader's a really good one. That's actually, I mean, because I was, I mean, I'm driving to the studio tonight and, and I knew that we were going to talk about this. And, and I was like, kind of thinking, like, who is that? I mean, Ryan Bader, when you think about when he left the UFC, I mean, he was right there. I mean, I, I, that's probably, yeah, I mean, he, that's definitely a good one. You know, Gay Guard, um, you know, I mean, you know, really, I mean, you know, it, it always seemed like when Gay Guard was like one fight, maybe two fights away, he always he had that stumbling block in the UFC. I mean, the one, I, I guess the one thing, a fight that comes to mind is, is your Uriah Hall knockout. Um, Jock race is another great one. I mean, but it, it's like, it's just one of these things of, and, and I guess, you know, in, in terms of the way I felt on, on Sunday and Monday, I guess I should have been used to it just because I've seen this happen in MMA so often. Oh yeah. And I, I'll give you a couple more names. Flyweight, a big name that maybe matches the Florida state vibe, a guy who maybe just wasn't super entertaining, didn't have the name value. So he wasn't able to jump, uh, Actually, Bantamweight, my bad. Rafael Asunso, he had a big run from 2011 to 2014. We're talking, I believe, seven or eight straight wins. Wins over Brian Caraway, Pedro Munoz, split decision over TJ Dillashaw. Ultimately, his momentum was stopped by a loss to Dillashaw, but he rebounded with wins over Aljo, Marlon Moraes, Matthew Lopez, and Rob Font. That's a championship-caliber resume, and it's sad that Asunso never got that opportunity and again, never will. The other one, got to go way back, Carl Parisian in, in the in the early 2000s. It's crazy to think that he never got a shot at the UFC World Tour Championship. It felt like a given. When he entered the UFC, he entered it with a victory over Nick Diaz, beat Chris Lytle, Matt Serra. He's someone that I think maybe assumed he was going to get that championship opportunity. Things got in the way, but Parisian in the mid-2000s, was a perennial top-tier welterweight fighter. Never got that opportunity to fight for a title. You, you know another name, and he, he this is a guy that fought for a UFC title, but you knew that the odds of him ever getting to another UFC title fight were just going to be astronomical. John Fitch. Oh, yeah. I, I just I, I just pulled up his, his Wikipedia profile. So he lost to GSP in August of 2008. Then he went on to win one, two, three, four, five fights in a row, has a draw against BJ Penn, and then he loses to Johnny Hendricks. But he was the guy that you just knew the UFC was never going to give him another shot. Yeah, he had that reputation, and it was earned, justifiably earned for being one of the most boring fighters I don't know, maybe in the UFC's history, like if we were doing a top 10 most boring fighters of all time, unfortunately for John Fitch, he's got the resume to be a part of that list. Uh, that's a great name, even though he did fight for a title. He probably did deserve another crack at the Walter Waits rap because he was kind of the original Joseph Benavidez, where he was just like, if the champion didn't exist, he would have been champion. I mean, that's how good John Fitch was at 170 for a big period of time. And another guy at 170 that went on a run and is the polar opposite of John Fitch in terms of reputation. He probably should have got a title shot. Matt Brown went on an unbelievable run and he was on the verge of getting that championship opportunity. Uh, and I guess we're going to talk about him later in this podcast. So it's fitting yeah. to mention him here, but uh, he's another name that came to mind. 
Yeah, Matt was always kind of like he, I think he's that definition of that guy that he would go on a run and you almost think that hey he's going to get there, but it, it'd always be that one fight. I mean, you think about that in mentioning about that run from 2012 to 2014, uh, where he won seven in a row, but then loses to Robbie Lawler, loses to Johnny Hendricks, and, uh, and and really since then it's just been you know you know win two in a row, lose one, you know just uh, that's just kind of way he's been, and and obviously we'll, we'll talk about Matt Brown here. In a little bit, but yeah, I think it's just one of these things. And unfortunately, this doesn't happen in mixed martial arts. Is you just would love the athletes to to control their own destiny. I mean, and I guess that's kind of why. I mean, look at the, the PFL model, what they're doing. You, you like the way they're doing because saying, hey, that you know, to to a point to a point, <laughs> the fighters. You know, I, I just every time the PFL goes, we don't match make here. I go, bullshit, you don't match make. Like, oh, I go. Someone's got to make the matchups for the regular season. How is that not? I go. So are you just telling me you got ping pong balls in and you pull two out and that's match the match that's the matchup you make? Bullshit! Like every time they say that, I'm just like, you get the f out of here with that. Yeah, there is that initial matchmaking and. The other blemish on the PFL's pristine record is whenever they took out the two dudes who had the sparring session. That also, they had the sparring hey, session. Hey, hey, let's match up two dudes. Oh, they're each other's uh, godfather to their children. Yeah, let's match those two guys up because we think that's going to be a good fight. Like, come and on. Then they bend their, yeah, and they bend the rules whenever the guy actually wins and qualifies so they can get freaking, uh, what was it, Pettis or Burgos? Burgos, it was Burgos, yeah, Burgos. yeah, Burgos into the into the thing. So that's the one blemish on their resume when it comes to, uh, you know, advocating for being the example for the sporting standpoint. Is that one time they took the dude out of the final four because uh, they wanted Burgos in there? You know, one, one thing before we kind of because you know, we were going to talk about the the finishing sequence from the Cobain event last week. I, I want to mention this. I, I saw. Uh, I saw this on Twitter from Jedi Goodman. So uh, Mark Shapiro uh, was talking about, you know, things with WWE and the UFC. And uh, there were, there were two things that uh, stuck out to me. One tweet where it says, uh, or Mark Shapiro's asked about the PFL. I like the idea of having more MMA on ESPN. That helps us. Often they served as a lead in and they're good competition, but make no doubt about it. They are the B squad. <laughs> Oof. Damn. <laughs> Ooh, that's got to be tough to hear. Uh, another one, uh, and kudos to Jedi Goodman for uh, pulling these quotes from, uh, from uh, I want to say it was a conference he was doing. Uh, it says, Mark Shapiro says there is probably an opportunity to cut back on some of the WWE non-televised events. Also says there's an opportunity to add more UFC fight nights, not just when they go to market, but in the ESPN deal now. No, no, stop it. Stop it. We don't need more cards. You understand me. Do you want me to read out the the fights that are lined up currently in the Apex? Because I will. Jesus Christ, Jason, if we get more UFC cards, I I just, that's not what we need more of. We don't need more content. We need better content. I mean, I, I look, I think it's just a, another example of the UFC is in the, the content business. You know, how much how much content can you mass produce? A, another, also this came out from Mark Shapiro. For people who don't know, he's with Endeavor. Uh, so he was speaking at the Global Media and Communications Conference, and he says, for the UFC, opportunity to add more cards in the ESPN deal, $60 million site fee for Australia. By the way, that's three events uh, still. 
crap ton of money. Uh, $20 million side fee for a fight night in Saudi Arabia. $25 million side fee for each event in Abu Dhabi. You know where I want to file this tweet under, uh, Daniel? What's that? Of why we're never going to see fighters revolt against the UFC. Because if they were, this is another piece of the equation going, hey, fellas, we really need a bigger piece of the pie. Seriously. Seriously, look at the payroll for the UFC fighters. And just look at those site fees. And that's not where the money stops rolling in. The money rolls in on pay-per-view. The money rolls in on the ESPN television deal, on sponsorships. There's so many other aspects of revenue. Those are just three basic things. And you look at those numbers, those are ginormous. You know, $20 million per event right off the gate for Australia. Oh, my God. That's covering your payroll and then some for that fight card. Yeah, you've probably covered every single expense and still have plenty of money left over. And that's not taking into account the the like four hundred other revenue streams they got for that event. I'm I'm actually surprised the Saudi Arabia event's not pay per view. Yeah, I am too. I am too. But I don't know. Uh maybe maybe the time zone is a big deal that they're they're recognizing is that people maybe just aren't willing to buy a pay per view. I mean, I know I'm sure we'll still get plenty of pay per views that happen at two Eastern, three, four Eastern. But I would imagine there's a big gap in in price point. I mean, you've t- they've right. talked about the difference in price point between starting at eight and nine central. It's got to be dramatic, and it probably is part of their calculus when they're planning pay per view events. Yeah, I mean, I can just tell you this. I mean, look as a as a combat combat sports consumer, I love an afternoon pay per view. I think it's awesome because then you know, look, I'm an outgoing person. I, I like to go out and, and do things. So you tell me the UFC pay per views in the afternoon. That's awesome, man. Go in the afternoon and. You know, go out at night, whether you're with your, your friends or your lady, whoever it may be. Um, but I can also say from being in the, the bar operations business, yeah, I hate afternoon pay-per-views because they just, they don't, they typically don't draw people in, into your establishment. I mean, it's just, it's a history of it. Um, by the way, another thing to mention, you, you sent me over this uh, tweet from Oscar Willis. It was a, a picture of the daughters of Brock Lesnar and Frank Mir. They're both uh, uh, collegiate wrestlers. Uh, Brock stars at Colorado State. Uh, Frank's daughters at Iowa. And uh, Oscar Willis captions it with a photo of them two t- next to each other. Says, "I'll take Lesnar versus Mir three in about five years, please." Yeah, the funny thing is, might see it actually happen for reals. I mean, I know Bella is much more dabbled into the world of mixed martial arts. Yes. Uh, I don't know if she's she's done amateur mixed martial arts. I'm pretty sure. Pretty yes. sure she's on. A, she, was she on a PFL card or what was she on a Bellator card? No, she's fought on Fight Pass shows. Um, okay, okay. And then Mia Lesnar, which is this is actually the first time I've ever been aware of who Mia Lesnar was. It just I think today she went viral. Uh, I don't know if it was on TikTok or what, but yeah, she. Uh, let's see, she broke Colorado State's shot put record. I and, saw that. Uh, is she also an amateur wrestler? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Bella Mir, the daughter of Frank Mir, she is 3-0 and as a pro mixed martial artist. Uh, her last oh, fight wow. was back in 2022 at Extreme Fight Night. Um, and as I recall, I believe she has a NIL deal with the UFC. Damn. Yeah, so, I mean, I think... 
Bella is kind of a no-brainer in terms of like if we were doing a draft for like future MMA stars. I mean, she has the pedigree, and 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 I think that's kind of really exciting. Like, I think we're going to see that more and more often. Is fighters that we grew up watching or or watching the past 10, 15 years, their kids will become fighters. It's going to be weird to see, you know, Anderson Silva's son in the UFC. Um, But I actually, actually, by the way, I think uh, Mia Lesnar is not an amateur wrestler, just a, she's a shot put. I thought thought that was a wrestling singlet. That's what I thought. But I think she's just a shot put track and field star. Yeah. I mean, look, I I think what's, as you were kind of talking and, and obviously we know what, college athletics is like at this point with with nil deals and it kind of makes me wonder about obviously the ufc has got into that business wwe has gotten that business and now the fact that they are the same parent company how is that going to work uh you know obviously because they're they're two organizations that will be going after the same type of athlete i mean let's just be honest about it and so it'll be very it'll be very interesting to see kind of how that how that plays out yeah, and I just clicked on an interesting Reddit thread where it's like, which fighters have kids you think could go far in the sport? We got Michael Bisping's son. Uh, yeah, I believe I believe he is uh, wrestling in college now. So I think that's a strong bet. Uh, I guess Peter Jan's son. Uh, and then this is a funny one from uh, N20 Panda two years ago. Ben Askren's son, Chase Hooper. <laughs> I mean, but also I, I wonder how many of those, you know, former UFC fighters or maybe current UFC fighters would try to tell their, their kids not to do it because they understand what the, the true um, economic aspects of it is. Yeah, I think maybe it's going to be the quality of career. Like if you're Michael Bisping's child, economically, you're fine for your entire life. Like like Bisping said, you would think he, yeah. He's he he made a lot of money in his UFC career, and he's got a hell of a job right now. So it's probably a sliding scale. But like you think of a name like Antonio McKee, and and surely he didn't make a killing off of his mixed martial arts career. But you know his son went and did the sport. But I think for fighters, maybe less so the economics. I think they're probably more concerned about you know the injury and the long term brain damage that one compiles through a career. Mm-hmm. If I was a parent. You know, how I'm pursuing a career in wrestling. I wouldn't want my child to become a pro wrestler. And any given second, you could break your neck, get paralyzed, you could die, you get long term brain injury. That's a guarantee every time you get punched, kicked, or dropped on your head. So I wouldn't want my future kid to be a pro wrestler, speaking from my point of view. Yeah, I mean, um, especially when you're, when you're talking about pro wrestling and the fact of, you know, the, the moves that you're performing, you know, um, inch wrong the one way i mean i mean i just think about like you know someone like a Big E who uh you know lives here in the tampa bay area you know he's a guy who probably never wrestles again because of, of, the, of the injury he suffered yeah he never seen ever in professional wrestling but you're right i mean he he was in a bad way um steve austin broke his neck on a pile driver we've had several famous wrestlers pass away uh, one really famous japanese wrestler but it's 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 a real real situation that uh, you got to be concerned about, and and you just got to be aware that in a given instant it could be game over. I mean, li- you know, life life is fleeting, right? You just had a we had a, ran- a fan pass away at an NBA game, and yeah, I, saw that. I believe that they had a heart condition, a, one, a heart attack, excuse me. And then you look at the statistics of how often people have heart attacks, and you look at the statistics on how many people attend a game. It's almost surprising we don't see that more often. 
because of how many people are at games. Granted, you know, the best place to have a heart attack is probably a professional sports game because of the access to an EMT. I mean, think about um, Bronny James. You know, he he suffered a heart complication in practice. Fortunately, you had that medical team there. I mean, a lot of people, unfortunately, pass away from heart stuff and no one's there to treat them. And, and, it, and it can come from nowhere to somebody who doesn't expect anything like that to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like a MMA event in most states that, you know, there's usually at least – two ambulances that are assigned to the event. And so I remember being at one event and there ended up being a delay because both the ambulances had already taken fires to, uh, to the hospital. So they were waiting for another ambulance to get back because they couldn't physically start another fight until there were at least one ambulance in there. And, you know, you, you talk about like, if you think about last week's mixed martial arts action, I think obviously, I mean, you would think that the big talking point would be about Armin Saruki and what he did and, and now being, uh, I want to, I want to say he's now fifth, in the UFC lightweight rankings, but really the, the talking point of UFC Austin is a stoppage in the matchup between Jalen Turner and, and Bobby Green. Of course, you know, Jalen Turner stepped up a short notice and uh, you know, look, it's a bad stoppage. <laughs> I don't, you know, there, there's not many people who are going to sit back and say that was a, a justified stoppage unless you're a fighter. And that brings us to Matt Brown, where uh, this was Matt Brown's quote uh, on the fighter versus the rider over at MMAfighting.com. He says, quote, I'm going to request referee Kerry Hatley in my fights because I would rather that as a fighter than an early stoppage. Let the dude half kill me. Let's take a couple of years off my life. I don't want this effing fight stopped. But I agree. It was erroneous. It was absolutely effing ridiculous. Like, what are you thinking? We're literally watching, watching like, what are you doing? And that, and that was Matt Brown. I'm not surprised by that comment by Matt Brown. And, and I understand. I mean, like, look, is I think as a fighter, I would imagine that a majority of fighters, if they were in that situation, the way Bobby Green was in that situation, and Bobby Green, I saw a video of Bobby Green basically saying he didn't realize how bad the stoppage was until he actually went back and watched the fight. But, like, I'm not surprised by that reaction by Matt Brown. I mean, I can't tell you how many fighters have said, you know what, I'd rather a referee have a late stoppage than an early stoppage. Yeah, I think that's a common refrain from fighters. It's just the Bobby Green example was egregious. It's not like Bobby Green was defending himself. The only thing Bobby Green was attacking was the mat with his teeth. He was just taking a chomp for a late-night dinner. So, like, the difference between, like, Maybe what we saw earlier in the night between Rodolfo Bayato and Ihor Pateria, where Ihor had Rodolfo in a bad way with the ground and pound, but Jacob Montavo gave him an opportunity to get back in the fight, and he was still intelligently defending himself. The intelligence was gone when Bobby hit the mat from Jalen Turner's thing, and it's just there was a literal 0.0% chance that Bobby was going to get back in that fight because he was out and he was in a position where he was on receiving end of violent, significant strikes from a trained fighter. So to me, Matt Brown's just saying, I would like to have more brain damage just for the hell of it, because there was 0% chance Bobby Green was going to win that fight because Jalen Turner's sole job was to fight until the, the thing was, was over. And there was going to be zero opportunity for Bobby Green to recover. Uh, so that was just it's a stupid comment, and I and I think it's just said in jest. So I'm not gonna like hold my pitchfork out and be like, oh yeah. I'm just saying it's kind of a bonehead comment because at the end of the day, what did we see on Saturday? 
we saw a guy completely out, unintelligently defending himself, getting blasted over and over again. And it was so egregious that the commentators called it out. Daniel Cormier called it out in his post-fight interview. Must have been awkward for the referee right there. And (laughs) Kerry Hatley is well-respected. He has a solid resume. People do make mistakes. But the important lesson to learn here is this is a sport where a referee's mistake can cause someone to get significantly injured or possibly die. That's what we're dealing with here. Yeah, and, and I mean, you look at UFC Austin, it was a night of upset. You talk about Veronica Hardy, she was an underdog. She goes out there, gets a split decision win. Jared Gooden goes out there, as an underdog, gets a submission win against Wellington Thurman. Cody Brundage, another underdog, goes out there and gets a knockout win in the first round against Zachary Reese. Dustin Stolfis defeats Punahel Soriano, which I, I was probably, Punahel Soriano was probably my most confident pick uh, going into it. Stolfus wins uh, via submission there. Um, and, and really, I mean, I you know, Sean Brady, I mean, uh, a little surprised by the result, but uh, goes out there and gets the win. He was a favorite. Uh, Diverson Figueredo was an underdog against Rob Font. That one really was not a shock to me. I thought that fight was much closer than the betting odds uh, set out there. And, of course, the main event, co-main event, both the favorites go in there and get the win. It'll be interesting to see where how they do match up, Armin Sarukian, uh, you know, going forward. Um, you know, of where do they get, you know, to where. And I think I think it's ultimately is like how does the, the top of this division really play out? Um, you know, what happens with, you know, say Dustin Poirier, what happens with, you know, Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira. I mean, it's to me, it's just going to be a domino effect, but it would be kind of interesting to see how they do match. I mean, but obviously Armin Struke, you got to imagine, I mean, he's probably at the very most two wins away from a title shot. Yeah, I think that's probably where he's at because he just doesn't have the name value, but Undoubtedly for Armin Sarukian, this was his biggest win in a big way. I mean, it was a main event spot, high quality, well-respected opponent and Benil Dariush. The difference between Dariush and Armin's second biggest win is huge. It's massive. I mean, Armin's second biggest win is probably Oliver Aubin-Mercier, uh, uh, you know, back when they fought in front of a crowd three plus years ago. So Armin's probably two wins away, but he looked really good. His stand-up was, was looking good there. And match him up with anyone in that top five, and I'm excited. Even you could match him up with someone like Dan Hooker, and that's a fight I would be into. But I think Armin's going to want to continue to step up because he's fighting like a guy on the verge of a championship opportunity, has that history with Islam Mahachev, so that's exciting. And then again, we stick in the division. You could even match him up with Jalen Turner, Jalen Return to form for him. He was thrown into the lion's den on short notice. Felt like he was pressured into that fight. And he performed really, really good. Reminded us why he's a top 10 lightweight. The lightweight division continues to look good, Jason. And yes, in total, the Austin card was two thumbs up. Anytime you got back-to-back slam knockouts, anytime you got 10 performance bonuses given out, you know... It was a pretty solid night of fights. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when you look at this lightweight division, I think really it comes down to is who will Islam's next title defense be against? Will it be? Will they go ahead and and book the rematch against Charles Oliveira, or do you give Justin Gaethje that matchup? I, as a combat sports consumer, I think I would be more interested right now to see Islam versus Gaethje than Islam against Oliveira. Yeah, it's close. I think I'm leaning towards Oliveira. I'm just thinking I think Oliveira maybe has a slightly better chance of beating Islam. 
But to be frank with you, I don't think either dude does. Like, if I'm telling you, bro, look at the top 10, look at that top 15. Yeah, what's, the, what, what's the number one name that you think has the biggest opportunity to beat Islam? Is it Serkian? Is it Gamrot? Man, I, I mean, the problem is, I think Islam's just so good. I mean, obviously, he can have bad night. I mean, I just like I, I look at it and I say the Gaethje matchup is, you know, what happens if he just utilizes his grappling against Gaethje and, and neutralizes what Gaethje can do on the feet. Um, I, I think part of this lightweight equation is does Dustin Poirier stay at fifty five or is he going to seventy? Yeah, because I can sit there. I mean, because like it becomes this, and then you got Michael Chandler sitting there at five, who clearly has made it known he's waiting around for Connor. Whenever Connor wants a fight, he's going to be sitting there. And we both know whenever Chandler versus Connor happens, if Connor wins that matchup, he is he is straight up to the top of the line. You know, you, you talked about that uh, deserving a tile shot versus being given a tile shot. We we both know Connor wins his next fight. We, we know his, that following fight will be for a belt, whether it's at 55 or 70. Hell, he'll probably get it off of a draw. If he gets <laughs> a draw, he'll get that championship opportunity. No one has a more golden brick road than Conor McGregor. But, yeah, yeah. I think um, those are some good names. And you go from 11 through 15. Who's the name that sticks out? I think Benoit Saint-Denis, down the line. Still has a lot to prove. But you look at that 11 through 15, he certainly sticks out as having the most amount of upside. But uh, if you're a meteorologist and you're predicting the MMA lightweight landscape, it's a safe prediction that that championship belt will kind of remain around the waist of Mahachev until he like retires randomly, which would probably be the the most likely. Like if you look at Vegas, you're like, what's the most likely way Islam drops a title? It's probably via retirement. Yeah, um, you know. By the way, I was trying to find the exact tweet, but I, I can't see it up here anymore. Um, you know, I I know that we very much live in a clickbait um, world online, but the the clickbait portion that people would that TMZ was putting out there on the the legal situation of Jamal Hill, I mean, was just goddamn awful. And I'm trying to find the exact tweet. Um, I had thought his manager, Brian Butler, had put something in here. Um, I want to say John Morgan had a tweet. And it, yeah, it was It was the on December 1st, the TMZ tweet was, ex-UFC champ Jamal Hill arrested for domestic violence. Click to read more. And, and I thought John Morgan's quote tweet was very spot on about this. He says, man got to a fight with his brother, but anyone who sees this headline is going to assume he hit a woman. Even if it's not a clickbait tactic, you have to take some responsibility for what you must know you're insinuating here. And that was a spot on tweet from John Morgan of like, and obviously I think everyone has seen the, has seen the story. Some details have come out about it. Um, I, I have seen uh, Jamal Hill has a tweet that he's looking forward to telling his side uh, in, in public court. But when I saw that, when I initially saw that headline and then, then I kind of started seeing these other tweets, I was like, come on TMZ, you got to do a better job. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you because it's important what's happening here because one headline affects someone's legacy. It does, you know, with a, more people by a wide margin read headlines versus the actual articles. 
and that's the I, way they consume news. We're I'm all guilty. guilty of it. I, I am so guilty of it. Like it's to the point. I don't know if you've noticed this, and, and not this is not just an MMA. I think this is just in any type of of social media quick headline we see is that it is everyone has just gotten to the point of trying to give you the bare minimum amount of information, but give you kind of a hook to click that link. Yeah, it's, it's pretty messed up. We're in a pretty messed up way when it comes to uh, how we consume information, because a lot of times it's inaccurate just reading the headline without getting that context. We're a feed society. And what I mean by that is we, we click, we, we scroll down our, our Twitter feed, we scroll down our Instagram feed, our, our Facebook feed. How often do we actually click that link? Yeah, not often. I mean, you maybe you click one out of every 10, one out of every 20, because it's a lot of scrolling. Mm-hmm. And again, we're making five second judgments and it goes back to the main talking point. As a journalistic organization, you have someone's reputation in your hands and you can destroy it. Granted, I guess that's why there's libel laws and whatnot. But yeah, this is a situation where clearly there is very little information out. And as things continue to get out, it, it becomes a much more, the story is very, it's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. It's messy. And and you, and that's going to, that headline will be something people always remember. And there are going to be people who never follow up on the story or click that link that may have an opinion of Jamal Hill that is not accurate. And, and I'm yeah. not I'm not here to defend Jamal Hill. I'm just saying that headline was god awful. Like it, it, it is, you could have wrote a headline that was accurate and still get people to click on, you know, click here for more details. Yeah, yeah, it's. The thing is, though, yeah, like I mean, TMZ has that reputation, and it's justified. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you could have literally said Jamal Hill arrested after a dispute with his brother. Click here for more information. Mm-hmm. Instead, they were like, "What's going to get us the most likes? What's going to get us the most clicks? The most traffic? Who cares?" It and the people at TMZ don't care about Jamal Hill. They don't care. I mean, they're a massive organization, and it's just a random USC fighter, random person. Yeah, I mean, it's like it, there's there's times I see headlines MMA and like I'll give you an example. What she fight two weeks ago, Aileen Perez, mm-hmm. and the big story was basically as, when she did an interview <clears throat> with Ariel, it was how much more money she makes on her on her OnlyFans page than she actually makes fighting. And the thing is, you know that's going to get traction. Oh, of course it and is. And we just, Dude, we just yeah, see the yeah. same repeated thing. Yeah, I mean, come on. We we both know the fight the fight the fighter pay aspect is always going to get, you know, it's like Well, no, it's not just the fighter pay, it's the OnlyFans. I mean, you just t- you just put the fighter in OnlyFans, it's gonna get traction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just Googled OnlyFans and now I need to clear my browser. <laughs> Yeah, it was like I saw I saw this funny video on, on Instagram Reels the other day and it was like, you know, you uh you search something in your phone and then there's Facebook and Google. All right, we, we got you. You you were looking for a watch? Oh, here is X, X amount of watches. 
Yeah, or the damn thing's microphones are on, and if I just mention something in a passing conversation, Dude. I will see that advertisement. I I was looking for a Christmas gift for someone, and I knew what they were looking for, and so literally, I did two Google searches. You, you know, it came up on the Facebook timeline. Came advertisement for what you searched for, and, and then and then about uh, it was like a day uh, like yesterday. Uh, I get the email from Target. Hey, we saw you looking at this. We got a new lower price on it. <laughs> Internet gods, stop it and leave <laughs> us alone. Leave us the hell alone. Oh my god, I I love it. Um, I know. I, I guess it, it's just it's it's just, it's 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 the way our world works. But like, I, I saw the Jamal Hill thing, and I just it's just it's. And, and and look, I am as guilty of it as anyone else of just looking at at headlines and not really clicking the article. But when you start seeing things coming up your timeline more and more, and, and by the way, I mean I know we we've given Bloody Elbow some kudos over here the past couple weeks. They're still, I mean they're they're killing it with this antitrust lawsuit stuff out there. I just man, it, it it's going to be interesting. It is going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. I mean. Yeah, Bloody Elbow does have their niche with stuff like that, and and they do a good job. Hats off to them. I know John Nash will have us covered. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting times. So let me close out that Austin conversation with the basic question for you. Real simple game. All right. Who's more likely to fight for a championship? All right. Davison Figueredo or Sean Brady? Moving forward. Davison at 135, Sean at Walter White. Who do you think kind of possesses the skills, pathway to that championship opportunity? Mm. I feel like it's a safer bet to say Figueredo. The reason I would say that is I think there is got to be concern about if Brady is unable to utilize his grappling ability, can he win a 15 25 minute decision in a kickboxing type matchup. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I think you're right. And again, these guys are basically identical, right? Like Davison's eighth in his division. Sean is seventh, but, uh, I, but I, I agree with you. I also think the road to a title could be much quicker for Davison since he's already been a champion too. Oh, it has that name value. I mean, realistically, Davison could get one more fight and then get that opportunity versus Sean is going to have to get two to three. I mean, let's think about it. If you're Sean O'Malley, you probably look at that and say, hey, I'd rather take that fight than maybe some other fights in that 135-pound division. Uh, yeah, saying, he'd, rather fight, he'd rather fight Davison than Marab, yes. Yeah, saying that he gets past uh, Cheeto Vera, I mean, like, like, think about it. I mean, like, you look at this top of this division. You know, I mean, we got you know a key matchup coming up this weekend with Song Yudong and Chris Gutierrez. Uh, you know, Peter Yan, Corey Sanhagen, Henry Cejudo, Marab Davishvili. I mean, like, if Sean O'Malley gets through Cheeto Vera and the UFC came to him and said, "All right, uh, you got your choice, Marab or Davison Figueredo," I would be shocked if he picked Marab. Oh yeah, yeah I mean, Marab's the one dude he does not want to fight. I mean, yeah. and I can't blame him. You talk about guys deserving championship opportunities. We can put him number one on the list. Marab Davishvili. Yeah. 
I mean, and you know, you kind of and moving forward. Of course, you got the UFC uh, Apex card coming this weekend. Song Yunong and Chris Gutierrez. I thought it's kind of fascinating. I was watching a, a clip on, on on Twitter a little earlier. Chris Gutierrez was talking about, you know, hey, yeah, man, you you, you have uh, you know, being you know that you know, scared. He because you're going in there and fighting your underwear, you know, and, and what you happens here with him and uh, Song Yunong here. Uh, a nice co-main event of Anthony Smith and Khalil Roundtree Jr. Um, Tim Elliott stepping up here at short notice replacement. Taking on Suma Darji, uh, uh, Young Park, Andre Muniz. I mean, for a apex card, this is not a bad main card that they have on Saturday. Mm. I don't know, Jason. I'm looking at this card, and I'm not that excited. I'm being honest with you, bro. Like the main event is good. the The Tim Elliott Sue fight is fine. Smith Roundtree is a pretty good fight. I agree with you. But damn, man, I don't know if I'm excited about Song Kanan and Kevin Jusay and Nazrat and Malarkey and Muniz and Jun Yong. I mean, I to me this is a passable card. I I, I think this is a below average card. I mean, I'm excited for Tetsuro Tyra and yeah. Carlos Hernandez. I mean, sign me up for that. This isn't the worst Apex card of all time. It isn't. There are plenty worse cards we've seen, but uh, I'm not excited for this one. This one is definitely a passable weekend in mixed martial arts. I mean, we could literally we we may spend two minutes talking about this fight card next week. I don't think we'll spend much on because next week's a pay review week. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, we'll probably talk about the main event and maybe if something. I mean, like if Khalil Roundtree comes out there and beats Anthony Smith, I mean, that's a story because that's a massive jump up for Roundtree in his career. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I, I'm just not feeling this card, man. Yeah, especially when you talk about Roundtree, a guy that, I mean, you talk about that definition of just an up-and-down fighter throughout his career. I mean, that that to me is is something I, I would stick there. But, I mean, look, I, I think that it's just one of these things with the UFC, and, and I think it's, you know, they have very much taken the the mindset of, you know, about being in the – I mean, I mean kind of like you think about it, you know, WWE. You know, it's, it's WWE's got the, you know, Raw on Mondays. What, NXT's what? Is that Wednesdays? Tuesday. Tuesday, and then, of course, you know, SmackDown on, on Fridays, and it just, you know, it seemed like you, and, you know, I'm like you, man. I, I just, you know, there's so many UFC events, and, and there's times that I would say, I would venture to say if I went over the past 12 months, three quarters of my UFC watching has been on demand. Essentially, every pay-per-view I watch, I try and watch live, doesn't always happen, and everything else I watch on tape delay. I watch on demand on fight on uh, ESPN app. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, I mean, it's kind of hard this time of year with my football schedule and and, and traveling and, quite frankly, just living life, you know, and going yeah. out there and and enjoying, you know, um, the finer things in life. You know, I, I didn't, I did not watch UFC Austin live. I watched it after the fact. Yeah, like, I was of wrestling. Of course, I, was- I mean, look, when, when UFC Austin was going on. Um, you know, um, I was literally the main car was during the FSU game and I was in a, a Seminole bar. So every TV was on the Seminole game. Yeah. And I was wrestling in Laredo, so I wasn't watching the UFC card live, but I watched it on Sunday, you know, but it's also, it's very easy, especially with ESPN plus now to be able to do that. Oh, yeah, and you can just see, oh, this one's 10 minutes. I can crack this one out, and I can crack this one out. And, oh, gosh, that 
Clay that's, that, but that, that's a good and bad thing, though. That's a good that's and bad true. thing. I agree. I know exactly what you because you know what's going to happen. So it takes away the enjoyment of the sudden finish. I agree with you. I mean, I because of, you know, daily fantasy sports, I, I've kind of already know how things have played out. But that that to me is kind of that the one downside is like, oh, you know how long it is. Or maybe sometimes if, you know, like it's like it's a three on five, you see it's 18. The video is like 18 minutes long. You're like, oh, maybe I'll wait and watch that later on. Let me get these fights that are, the video is only like four or five minutes long. Yeah, a 24 minute fight. You're like, I know this one went the distance and there were probably two fouls. And it was probably a stoppage for a groin strike or an eye poke. But uh, maybe little hat tip to the people at ESPN Plus. To yeah. service your hardcore mixed martial arts fan, maybe you should change the setting to where you can take out the runtime on the fights. Yeah, maybe. Uh, we'll get uh, some news here before we get out of here. Uh, Aaron Braun, center of TSN, uh, reporting uh, that uh, Bryce Mitchell is repla- replacing Giga Jakadze to face Josh Emmett. Um, I want to say Aljamain Sterling was uh, was trying to get that fight. I know, I know uh, Aljamain's got a, a grappling match in, in Fury uh, coming up here, but Bryce Mitchell gets that fight against against Josh Emmett in that one. Of course, uh, of course, UFC 296 coming up next week. Uh, Gilbert Burns versus Jack Della. Madalena in the works for UFC 299. Interesting step up in competition for Jack Della. Dude, that's a hell of a fight. Sign me up for that one. I, I am so excited. Love me some Gilbert Burns. Uh, that's a great fight. Don't know who I'm picking right off the bat. Between Bryce and Emmett, I'm leaning Bryce Mitchell. Tough matchup for Emmett in terms of like, what a polar opposite in an opponent. I don't know if there are two different guys in that weight class than Giga and Bryce Mitchell, but uh, two interesting fights. And I think we might even see Michael Chandler take on Ric Flair. So uh, <laughs> did you see okay. that clip? I saw that like a week ago. And my my first thought was like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, Man, is this? A-? Then, then as you get to the end of the video, go, oh, this is a rib. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, at first I was like, is that an ad? But, yeah, it's probably an ad for Woo Energy. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean. But, yeah. I mean, being Bur- in Burn, Tampa. Burn, let, let's just banger. say this. I'll just say this. Being in Tampa, there's a lot of Rick Flair, Rick Flair stories. Says he lives here. Yeah, he's the. Yeah. Um, report, reportedly, Bram Moreno is going to be the backup fighter for the flyweight title fight next week. It can't help nothing. but laugh. Means nothing, bro. Backup fighters mean nothing. Yeah, I mean, hey man, if you just gotta go and make way to make, I don't know. I I I wonder how much UFC pays someone just coming to make weight. Not a bad way to make a paycheck. Not a bad way to make a paycheck. Twenty five, fifty thousand. Fifty grand to make a weight. You'll you'll catch my ass dropping twenty pounds in a week. <laughs> you tell you tell me I gotta make one fifty five by Friday. I will start getting in that sauna. Yeah, um, I will say this: I am looking forward to next week's UFC two ninety six pre fight press conference. You think any chance Ian Gary's at that press conference? <laughs> if he's at that press conference, know, is it open season? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he's going to have to recuse himself. 
because I feel, the focus I feel, I feel will, like the UFC might just go, hey, Ian, um, we think it's a good idea you don't show up to this thing. Yeah, I think I think and honestly, it's going to be the opposite. I think they're going to want him there because at the end of the day, if you're ES, if you're UFC, what do you want? You want headlines. Getting Ian there is going to give you the most headlines. I mean, it's promoting a fight that's not on deck. But, you know, hey, Ian Gary could find himself getting a championship fight with a win there if he goes to that press conference. If he goes to that press conference, he beats Vicente Luque and Colby wins that championship. Ian Gary could be fighting Colby for the belt next. So that might be the best thing going for him. Could you imagine if you were the PR director for Ian Gary? He doesn't have – I don't think he is a PR director. I, well, I, whoever I don't, I'm not sure who he's managed by, but obviously that management yeah. team would have some someone who handles PR. Could you imagine, like, you get that phone call like 10:30 night? Hey, Daniel, um, I need you to go on IG. Um, I need you to see what's going on with Ian Gary. Yeah, it's a late night. It's a late night, and not getting much sleep that late night. No, no, uh, yeah, I I can only imagine. Because you know Leon Edwards is probably going to make a comment. Yeah. If Colby starts going in too, oof, oof. Oh, and he won't be able to help himself. I mean, that is like dog nip for Colby Covington. I, I think Colby's going to get the job done next week. I really do. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. I'm going back and forth. But, you know, that's why y'all got to tune in, <clears throat> give you my locked-in prediction on who's going to win that championship fight. I just think whether it's can, can he stop the takedown? That, that's what it comes down yeah. to. Well, I certainly think Leon's going to knock him out if it stays standing. But well, I'll tell you this: I'll be in uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin next weekend. The last time, last notable time, I was in Green Bay uh, that I remember about uh, a mixed martial arts connection was 2011, the night of Eddie Alvarez, Michael Chandler won, and uh, Shogun and um, Dan Henderson won. So are you saying Song and Gutierrez may be one of the greatest fights of all time? No, 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 no. That, that I'll, be, I'll be in Atlanta this weekend. Green oh, Bay for the oh, pay-per-view. Oh, so you there's no way Covington Edwards is going to be one of the greatest fights of all time. But Pantoja and Roy Val, that one could be. I mean, okay, Covington Edwards could be great. Who knows? But, like, in all likelihood, all that's right. either going to be a knockout. I, I, or, have, I have no idea what the over-under number is. Pantoja Roy Val. Under over two and a half rounds. I'm gonna guess the under is like plus two hundred and fifty. Oh no, I think it's 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 major money. Plus four fifty? Oh, I think it's minus money. Oh, what's his uh, the under for Roy Val Pantoja? Just because of the way Brand Roy Val fights, I don't know if he can yeah. make it to a third round. Uh, so I'm looking here. Let's see here. Uh, do we got it over? Uh, round props have not come out yet on that one. Damn, be, damn be you're totally right. I mean, it's just I, I just think from Brand Roy Val's the way he fights, I don't know if that fight. Dude, that's a good point. I, don't I was think thinking, oh, round. fly. I was thinking a oh, flyweight championship fight. That one's going 25. But. You bring up a good point. Roy Val does not go three often. Yeah, I mean at all. I was just trying to. I mean, let me see if a little Hard Rock app here in uh, the state of Florida has a prop out on that one. Uh, they do not yet. Uh, Pantoja is a two to one betting favorite in that one. 
Yeah, he's got the reputation. He's got the track record. I mean, but, I, and by the way, this is the first time I ever looked at the the betting odds for UFC two ninety six. Uh, Rockmanov is a six to one betting favorite against Stephen Thompson. I think that will only widen as as we get closer. I mean, bro, is, that's a that's a Joe Silva matchup, buddy. All right, twenty dollars you never want to see again. Would you put it Tony Ferguson plus two twenty? Yes, I would. I would put twenty bucks on that. By the way, Vicente Luque is a plus two forty underdog to Ian Gary. That one's a good one. That one's a really good one. That's a juicy bet right there that I would want to take a bite into. Cody Garbrand, a minus two thirty betting favorite against Brian Kelher. <clears throat> kind of tough to trust Cody Garbrand at this stage of his career, though. Yeah, he's very close to being at the Tony Ferguson part of his career. I would not I would not trust him in that fight. I, I look, I, I think that when you talk about next week outside of the title fights, the Ferguson Pimblet fight may be one of the most probably outside of Luke and Gary will probably be the most talked about fight. Yeah, I think overall it's gonna be a talked about pay per view. It's gonna be notable and people will be watching. You know, it's not your stereotypical stacked like top ten contender type main card fights, but they're interesting fights that people are going to talk about. People have opinions about Patty. People have seen Tony working out with David Goggins, throwing up on the treadmill. I, I just, my whole thing with Tony Ferguson is I've always just felt he's he's carried a lot of yes men around him, and that. It's hard to have faith, even with a Patty Pimp. Like, I feel like this is almost the UFC's way of saying, "Hey, Tony, we're not giving you a top fifteen guy." You know, like to me, this is Tony Ferguson's last straw. If he doesn't get the win next Saturday, I think his time in the UFC is up. At his age, I don't think going into the PFL tournament is probably the best idea. Yeah, I mean, it's scared Sadie's. God, I mean, I'm sure Bare Knuckle would offer him something. I mean, probably be a good guy to put in some one-off fights in the PFL slash Bellator. Yeah, name value, but this is still a fighter that if he loses to Patty, that's seven straight losses. That's insane. Granted, a lot of them are tough fighters, but if he loses again and if he does continue to fight, give him an easy dude for love of God. He's lost seven in a row, you know? Yeah, I mean, you think about it, man. One time, this guy was literally. We started the, the show with him. The, the second best lightweight in the world. And now yep. we're talking about, I mean, he hasn't won since 2019. Yep. We were talking about him for being one of the most deserving fighters to never fight for a title. But that's how brutal this sport is. Sometimes people can make comebacks. Sometimes you're Misha Tate. You get that third round finish over Avila. But sometimes you're Tony Ferguson. And you never know when that downside of the career is coming. I mean, like, I think one of the biggest examples for me is Chuck Liddell. Yeah. Like, you think about before the Rampage loss in the UFC. The, you, you just felt like the guy couldn't lose. And then the Rampage fight happens and everything goes downhill for him. Yeah, it was a combination for Chuck of... The chin was gone, way gone. I mean, it's one of the most notable examples of a broken chin. And athletically and skill level, those light heavyweights made a massive jump up at that same time. 
the the oh, landscape dude, of that division just changed dramatically. Got knocked got knocked out by Rich Franklin. Rich Franklin had a broken arm in the fight. Yeah, no, not a noted knockout artist, Rich Franklin. No, but that I'll was, say this: that was Rich, one of the nicest fighters I've ever met, though. Really cool, yeah. really cool dude. Well, he was a former math teacher, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teacher, teacher turned mixed martial artist. <laughs> yeah, now executive for One FC. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to see what kind of happens with one here, and uh, it's it's you know, it'd be interesting to see where this sport is twelve months from now. Where where is where is the UFC? Because you got to imagine something crazy is going to happen with this antitrust lawsuit. I just I, I start to wonder kind of at what point does the UFC just settle it. To get it to go away. Yeah, I'm sure that's something they're looking into, and it's just a matter of the plaintiffs wanting to settle. And my gut is they probably don't. Or if they do, they're going to ask for a massive number. Yeah. And can you truly keep that? Even if you get them to sign an NDA, can you keep that number silent? Probably unlikely. With the amount of people involved, doubt it. Yeah, I know. But uh, but as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. I'll still be watching college football, not giving up on it. Might be a little tough on January first to watch a little football. Might be a little tough, you know. You know. Yeah, I, I said this. You know who the biggest loser of all this uh, is? Who? The Orange Bowl. Because you got to think, a lot of guys are opting out of that game. A lot of guys are opting out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was I was like debating it. I was like, man, should I should I go down to Miami for the game? And then uh then I got hit up to produce the LiveQuest uh radio broadcast. I was like, ah, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. I'll make some money. <laughs> make some money. money. Yeah, maybe next year you'll be a part of the picture because obviously you got one hell of a head coach and uh Yeah, I mean I hope Jordan Travis, man, he's able to find his way back to the football field. <laughs> oh, I know man, he talked, you know, he talked about maybe not returning, but you know, I would love to see a comeback story for a guy who I mean, let me look at been, he would have been a Heisman candidate. Obviously, he'll be going going into the NFL draft. I mean, I got to imagine that I would think he was probably maybe at best a third, fourth round pick probably. Yeah. Now, now he's probably undrafted straight up. I don't think anyone would draft him. I don't I guess he so. probably it probably depends on what the medicals look like. I yeah. can see so I can see so maybe taking him a sixth, seventh round. Yeah, flyer. You know, get him rather get him in the. Oh damn! I broke my cover. That's great. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> Don't let my apartment see that. Um, yeah, I think somebody might take a flyer on him. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I love college football, man. Uh, you know what? Even though I'm a little, a little disappointed how this thing played out, uh, I still love college football. It's uh, me too. But yeah, we we also we also know the. Uh, it's a very much changing landscape <laughs> in college football these days. Oh yeah, the musical chairs. I mean, how even Tyler Buchner, Buckner in his seventh year is transferring from uh, wherever school he's at to play lacrosse. So you never know what's going to happen. No, it was uh, God. Is a guy going to Louisville? It's going to be a seventh year. Like Cam Rising's coming back for his seventh year of eligibility. I'm like, Shh. yeah, I don't understand how any of this works. These at apparently all. are the real Van Wilders of college athletics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's unreal. Twenty seven year olds playing college football. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's just 
It's like it made sense if you went to BYU, but I'm just saying, I'm saying like if you're a college kid and like your parents are like, hey man, you've been in college seven years. Hey, the starting quarterback's been here seven years. Yeah, <laughs> we're on the same track. Is he making nil money? Yeah, but still. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's 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 yeah. College college sports, man. It's 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 very different uh, these days. But we appreciate it to this podcast. Of course, a uh, new episode comes out basically late on, on Wednesday nights. Be sure to look at that on the audio platforms. Comes out on Thursday there on YouTube. So we appreciate you tuning in for this episode of the MMA Report podcast. <laughs>